Hello, everyone, and welcome to Minute 98 of Season 5 of Movie Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee our way through the 1990 Bruce Willis action flick, Die Hard 2, Die Harder, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today is my good friend, Alan Sanders, from, guess what, The Alan Sanders Show. Welcome back, Alan. Thank you, sir. Great to be back, and uh, looking forward to diving into today's minute. If you want to dive too far, just be careful how you dive. You know, just, just get out of the way. Just get out of the way. So, minute 98 begins with John continuing to clear the way and ends with Lorenzo figuring out what John was trying to explain to him. <laughs> Physically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, yesterday we, we ended things with, with John and Marvin, you know, uh, careening through Dulles, trying to get people to move out of the way. Move out of the way. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. And today we just continue with that, you know. And it starts mm-hmm. off with, uh, you know, we we have John scream, "Move! Get out of the way, lady! Go, go! Hey, hey, hey!" And then Marvin goes, "Look out!" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's great just to it it, you know, it's, it's great that they're throwing in a little bit of comic relief here in the middle of this 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 whole thing, especially when we know what's going to be coming. You know, so it, it right, and what what's great is is you see. I mean, you talked a little bit about this yesterday that they keep changing the angles. So you get you know a front shot of the the go kart, or you get a back shot, you get a side shot, and all that stuff. But you can like see the the crowd like parting in front, and then you see mm-hmm. in back the people who are you know uh, rejoining the you know the the crowd behind him. You know, and just like staring off into the distance, trying to figure out what the hell just happened. Right. Um, Another well-orchestrated with lots and lots of extras, uh, that whole idea, almost like the golf cart has this bubble around it. And as it approaches, it pushes people apart. And then as it goes by, they come right back together. That's right. That's right. It's great. I love how they do that. And then the... Continuity-wise, if you remember yesterday... This whole thing started off first with hearing the somber words of, of Thornburg through the special broadcast, and then it picks up with them, get out of the way, get out of the way. But they're happening concurrently, and I love how it goes right back to where we were in the broadcast. Exactly. goes exactly right back to what, what he's doing. And now we see Thornburg in, in the bathroom. Now, did you notice something strange about the phone that he's using? I noticed this when I first saw the movie 33 years ago. You notice well, anything strange I about is, it? Yeah, what I noticed is unless it's a cordless, in which case there's no antenna, there's no cord. No. Well, first of all, it's a cordless phone because he's, he's on an air phone. There's no cord. Okay. All right. Did you notice that the phone is upside down? He's talking into mm, the earpiece. I never noticed that before. I, you know, and maybe I don't know because I didn't do a lot of traveling on airlines with those brand new. I didn't know they were cordless. I thought when you popped them out of the seat in front of you, there was a wire that it connected the phone. No, they did have some that, around the cabin. They did. They did have those also. I remember having those that were in front of you that had a cord, but they did have cordless ones at the time. Okay. But he's talking into the phone backwards and uh, maybe later this week or, or we next week, we're going to see that the phone switches and that the, you know, if, if, if you look there, the thicker part of the phone right. is right now by his mouth. Okay. Right. So and just keep an eye on that. Piece would be. Yes. That's right. Keep oh an eye on that. Oh my God! I have seen this movie 
so many times and it never even I never know now I will never not see that that's right like how did the actor I, I get when the actors like just do what we tell you you know you learn your lines give your performance how did the actor not realize he had the phone upside down like would you have felt a difference maybe he did it on purpose I don't know. That that would be my explanation. Because again, later on we're gonna see in a different scene how it's flipped over. So, you know, you'd think that the the script supervisor or whoever's in charge of the continuity would have said to him, You gotta keep it that way. You know, no, this this is the way you it, were before. In, you can't change we it. See it in, Rob, we see it in this minute when he goes to hook, put his micro cassette recorder up to the bottom. It's I know not the same bottom. I okay. know. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that the script supervisor is supposed to make, you know, is supposed to notice the, these changes. Uh, for some reason, with the way you said it coming up later, I didn't think you meant in a few seconds. I thought you meant like when we come back later in the movie. I didn't really. No, meant, no, like, no, 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 no. Literally seconds the, later. The above shot. Yeah. I, I got to say it, it. This just reminded me of, of something on, on your show, you know, with Blazing Saddles. Okay. When you were talking with Burt Gilliam, on your show and he was talking about the continuity error that you know in the in the uh farting scene of blazing saddles mm -hmm. where he doesn't have his hat on his head but it's around his neck he needed to keep it there the whole time and they wouldn't let him change it so here is right. another example where this person there the person was doing their job properly here they are not <laughs> right <laughs> i am never ever gonna not unsee that ever 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 again I, that well done, sir. I usually pride myself on finding those continuity errors. I'm so attentive to that kind of detail. I, I point them out. My wife goes, "Just stop pointing these out. You're just I don't need to know." And I like look. I'll do this all the time. Like, hey, did you see the hammer was cocked on the gun when he put it in his waistband, and now it's not? Did you see that he's got two buttons down on his top shirt of his shirt, and now only one? It's like she goes, "How do you? Why are you paying attention to that? Just watch the movie. I'm like, because it's a continuity error. I notice it." And I've never, ever, until this moment, I am, I am this many years old, when Movie Rob pointed out that Dick Thornburg doesn't know how to use the headset of a phone. You see? You see? I mean, I, I've noticed this. I noticed this one of the first times I saw the movie. It's even listed on IMDb. It says Thornburg occasionally talks into the wrong end of the Sky phone in the toilets. So, <laughs> you see? Had you read IMDb, That's... you wouldn't be surprised by this now, would you? <laughs> that's true I, now here's the thing I also know that you have to take it with a grain of salt I think most of the IMDB stuff is is correct but kind of like Wikipedia anybody can submit anything and sometimes it's not 100% right but obviously in this case there's no doubting he's using the phone incorrectly that's right and you can even see par partially like by, under his thumb you can see like the, the symbol on the phone mm -hmm. you know and it looks like it's upside down also Oh yeah, 100%. Uh, you can't now not see it when you know That's how to right. look for it. That is correct. And that is why I'm here. <laughs> oh, awesome. That is, uh, thank you. I, I really, I love those. I, it, it doesn't ruin a movie for me. For me, it just adds a new texture of like, oh, look at, even with multi-million dollar productions and all of these people and hundreds of behind the scenes, mistakes still happen. People That's are right. still people. That's right. I, and and that's true, and it works really well. So at this point, he continues talking. He goes, 
this is a recording of a conversation between Dulles Tower and the captive aircraft overhead, right? And you see that he picks up, uh, uh, you know, his mini cassette, getting ready to start playing it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we get like a shot from overhead showing how cramped he is in, in, the, uh, in, in the laboratory. While we're pointing out continuity, if you're looking at, and most micro cassette recorders, the cassette is at the very top. The microphone is at the very top. The speaker would be at the bottom. But he's putting the microphone end of the micro cassette recorder up to the bottom of the phone to transmit. It'd be a lot better if he had the bottom of the micro cassette recorder where the speaker is located versus the top where there is no speaker. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. But it's a good thing he flipped the phone around again. So he's he's okay there. He's at least got the right (laughs) end of the phone, but now he's got the wrong end of the micro cassette recorder. That's right. Well, maybe he's holding that upside down. Ah. No, I looked at it. I looked at where the button is. He, he clicks play with his thumb on the right side, which means it's sitting up. And then he puts uh, – that isn't as big of a deal to me. But while we're pointing out errors, if you wanted to have the speaker of the microcassette playing into the uh, receiver of the phone or the, uh, the, the transmitter of the phone, you would have had to turn it up. You would have then had to turn that one upside down. That's right. You know, so <laughs> – so my my first question, and we'll we'll get to this later in the week a little bit, but is he is he allowed to play this? You know he he recorded this conversation from Barnes. We're not going to hear the conversation right now, okay? But he recorded it, I guess, illegally. Isn't that wouldn't that be like an FAA or or uh, some sort of uh, you know? Isn't he breaking some sort of law by recording the, that conversation? That's going over, you know, the airways from the tower to. So you know. he, he, the way the way and every state's going to be a little different, but let's just say let's just say this is a, a state or a municipality that has one party consent. A lot of a lot of places like California and others have to have two party consent, whereas if I'm recording me in a conversation with you. And it's about me and you. I'm one party. I can record my conversation and and play it and use it in court because it's one party consent. I'm obviously consenting to record myself. But this is so this is between say, Barnes. No, no, this is be, this is not I know, I know, between. I, I know. Okay, right. Sorry. I know. Let me let me finish. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> if it's two person consent, then it would mean you would have to know if we're going to use it in a court of law. You could have whatever I have thrown out. He's obviously not one of the parties. He's eavesdropping on a someone else's conversation, but we're not in a court of law. And so, yes, the airport could probably later sue him for having illegally recorded, and it would probably get some kind of a fine. But in terms of news, he doesn't care. Let the station pay the fine. He's going to play what he's intercepted. So, yeah, I think there there is an illegal illegality to it because he's not one of the people that was in the conversation. But as a reporter and investigative journalist, if you will, he doesn't care. It's about the story. Right. Right. Okay. That more. But but again, he's he's broadcasting it to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, people used to go undercover all the time to get the scoop on the story. A lot of that wouldn't be it would wouldn't be admissible in court. But when you see it happening now, investigators go dig for the actual records of people doing things. They find the crime that you pointed out through undercover. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. And if he's an investigative reporter, I guess I guess that's OK. <laughs> yeah. Again, if he gets fined, if he gets sued, the station is more 
the station would be like, we, are, we had everybody that night tuned into our station. More people are now uh, advertising with us. We'll, we'll pay your fine. You know, that's, uh-huh. that's how that usually works. Okay. All right. Interesting. And then the shot changes. We're back with uh, our good friends, uh, you know, Marvin and John, as they're they're flying mm-hmm. through the the airport, and they now end up showing showing up. They he like goes into the police station with his, uh, you know, a mini go, mini cart or whatever you want to call it. So it's just mm-hmm. very, and you see all the like cops scrambling. You know, you see, like, like uh, there, there's a cop and like a, a woman that just start running to the other sides as he comes down the the hallway, and then there's a guy coming out of a room that jumps backwards, mm-hmm. and all the other cops just like turn around and everyone's just looking and trying to figure out what the hell's going on. You know, and we we hear, mm-hmm. "Hey, get out of the way!" And then John get gets off the the cart and starts screaming, "Lorenzo, Lorenzo!" And you know he's he's trying to find Lorenzo, and everyone's just staring at him, trying to figure out what's going on. You know, we and then Lorenzo runs out of his office and goes, "McLean, are you out of your fucking mind?" And then John goes, "The blue the blue light team, where are they?" And then Lorenzo responds and goes, "Stewart's got explosives on the equipment in the church, rigged with a remote." And he goes, "Where's Grant? Grant's boys are gonna kill that son of a bitch." And then John goes, "They're not gonna do it." They're going to get on the same goddamn plane and take off with them. Get the f*** out of here. <laughs> because when the army can't steward, he must have loaded that unit with his own men. Are you nuts? That firefight sideshow to jerk us off. Buy him some time. McLean, you are completely around the f***ing bend. You know that? You know what else? You're under arrest. So, like, what do you think he would be arresting John for at this point? Like, what is John... Obstruction of justice? I don't know. Telling the truth? <laughs> it's one of those almost desperation moves, I guess. I don't know. There's no. I can't think of a crime other than he's trespassing because he doesn't work there, and he's. I don't know. It's. I just think he is just. This guy is sick and tired of uh, this this New York cop trying to get in here and trying to show him and tell him what to do. Right. I mean, I love the way that they have, uh, you know, Lorenzo run out of his office and he's immediately out of breath, mm-hmm. you know, just to show how out out of out of uh, shape he is. Well, you know, I also so think it, just... it adds to the frenetic of the scene. We're coming; it's this, it's the same carryover, like you mentioned at the beginning. We stage cops diving away from the cart, uh, trying to come out of their office, and they're all scrambling. People start yelling and trying to talk, and I, I think it adds to that cacophony, and so. You can't have Lorenzo kind of saunter out of his office. He's like, like, but I get what you're saying. Why would he be out of breath? But it adds, I think, to the whole energy of the scene, like the, the panic of the scene. Right, right. And the truth is, you know, Lorenzo wouldn't wouldn't be as upset if it wasn't. It's you know, McLean's bothering him in the middle of his dinner. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> I mean, the whole energy was... of this scene, the reason it works is because you and I know everything that's happened up to this point. We've realized something's weird. So the energy's fine. It makes no sense that they start yelling at each other in this scene. <laughs> that's but, right. None whatsoever. They just have to raise the movie, their voices. Right. In terms of the movie, it works because McLean is, you know, he's trying to get through to this guy. This other guy hates the fact that McLean's there. So it makes for a good little argument that will end. I'm not going to steal your thunder, but with a moment that I, I said earlier in the week on Monday, a, sh- a scene that still to this day shocks me. Like I just didn't right. see it coming. Yeah. They managed to right. one up me 
with this minute. Right. But what I what I love here is the way that their conversation goes. They're actually, you know, giving us a lot more of, of exposition of what's really going on. John has put everything together and this is the first time it's being verbalized. Correct. You know, that, that Grant and his men are going to be getting now we, we obviously saw, you know, Grant Grant uh, you know, killed Telford. We know what's going on. We know that that he's hatchling and that he's going to be, you know, getting together with uh, with Stuart. But, you know, this is the first time that John has put the pieces together and is explaining it to, uh, you know, to, to, to Lorenzo. And at the same time, explaining it to us, which is great. Mm-hmm. You know, I love, I love the way they do that. And then I've never heard this before. I never paid attention to the fact that this is what John – did you know that John, like, screams, you motherfucker? <laughs> And then pushes Lorenzo, you know, according to the to, to the subtitles. Huh. You don't hear him say it because there's because it's happening so fast. You know, he takes him and pushes him, and as he's pushing him, you do hear it. It's just it's said really fast. That's right. No, but my point is, is you don't pay attention to it because there's there's other stuff going on. You're not paying attention to the dialogue. You're paying attention to 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 the action of what's going on here. Right. You know, if John pushing him away. And then, you know, screaming at him and then pushes him against the wall. And then John just picks up the gun and just starts shooting at him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, there's there's no reason that John should still be alive after this little little action that he does here. You know, none whatsoever. Oh, no. I, because... I can't think of a single scenario except for the fact that all of these cops are completely incompetent. It's the only, only explanation. It, there's a momentary shot as he's bringing the rifle up and the, now remember we've had a terrorist incident. We've got a plane crash that's been within the hour and it seems like every single possible cop is standing now behind John McClain in police headquarters on the, uh, on the airport uh, base, whatever airport facility. You have a that's cop right. right to the, as close as you can get to John McClain with his hand on his holster. He's got his hand That's on right. his gun, and not a single person chooses to look at John McClain. They're all looking at Lorenzo. <laughs> That's right. And uh, the first, and uh, you you notice the one guy with his hand on his gun. As this is going on, there are I counted eight cops that draw their guns. Okay, not a single one of them fires at John. Nope. Eight cops. <laughs> I guess they all really hate Lorenzo. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's like, well, let him finish the job, then we'll arrest him. <laughs> I That's don't know. Right. It is weird because you got the one cop through the window behind Lorenzo, look like he's going to shoot Lorenzo in the butt. <laughs> That's right. And then you got the other well, one. Well, because he jumps down. Because right. he jumps. Well, you have one guy jump down and then one guy pull out his gun from there. And, you know, Lorenzo throws throws his cup of coffee or, or water or whatever it is that's in his hand. You know, so... It's it's just very strange the the way this whole thing happens. Mm. You know, sorry, no, 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 sorry, it's not Lorenzo who throws the cup. It's the guy in the room and behind him. The guy in the room behind him, you see him throw a cup. Uh, or is or is that actually the guy? Is that like a guy in a white shirt running? Oh no, this is arm. He's holding he's holding like a folder in his arm, and it looks mm. like it's it, there. There's an arc going downwards, so it looks like something is being thrown. But it's basically the guys crouching down to get out of the line of fire from from John shooting at him. Right. Okay. I didn't try counting how many bullets John shoots, uh, <laughs> but 
way too many. And again, he should not be alive. You know, right. At least one they, of those cops should have tried to take John out for just engaging with a firearm, hearing the shot. Because it sounds, obviously, they're blanks. But you can't tell the difference. They're still packed nope. with gunpowder to, for blanks. Uh, you're still getting That's the correct. discharge. You're getting the, 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 the gunfire, uh, sorry, the gunpowder residue and the flash off the muzzle. Right. There's, there's just no projectile. That's the only right. difference. You know, and theoretically, that is what should be happening. I mean, one, I, I don't know if these, these, these cops are, you know, completely incompetent or they're just very disciplined. Or like I said earlier, maybe, maybe they're just waiting to see if Lorenzo's uh, dead. Yeah. That seems to be the uh, best explanation. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I remember being stunned in the theater because I was like, wait, he's firing, but I don't see any blood. I'm thinking he's shooting the guy, but there's no blood. But wait a minute. There's no glass break. Wait, it took even me a second in the theater. We're going to get the explanation, but right. I, mean, I can't imagine being a cop, though, going, well, hold on. Before we shoot on a guy that's shooting at one of ours, there's no glass breakage. I don't see any blood. And I, maybe they are all in shock, but it's really weird. It's, it's a very weird scene in today's, especially today's uh, uh, society, to think that you could just open up with a machine gun and get away with it with all those cops. That's right. For sure. There's no Now, I mean, I've mentioned this before to other people, and I don't know if I've mentioned it to you. So I, I figured out this, the, the ruse beforehand. Uh, with the red and blue tape, you know, when I when I first saw this movie for the first time, because I had read a book and saw a TV movie called The Park Is Mine in nineteen, I think it was from nineteen eighty seven with with Tommy Lee Jones. the The movie was with Tommy Lee Jones. It was an HBO movie that that I remember came out, and it was it was about a Vietnam vet that went and took over Central Park, and the whole part of the the ploy is, is that he isn't shooting real bullets most of the time. He had, so he has different clips that are marked red or blue to distinguish between which are the real, which are the live rounds and which are, are blanks. So when I saw this movie, I, I was, uh, I knew that, that, that was the, the thing here. My assumption is, and I, I obviously can't remember, you know, how I really reacted 33 years ago. My assumption was that I was still shocked that John was shooting at him at this point, because you know, it comes as as a, as a surprise. Mm -hmm. You know, this isn't something this isn't something that you can prepare yourself for if you've never seen this. Right. Yeah. It was crazy. That, that, is that. They didn't necessarily hide it from you either. This wasn't a, a red herring, and it wasn't um, a, an unsupported part of the story. That we saw the color coding. We saw them switching the things around. I just assumed, as a moviegoer, that there was different ammo for maybe. I don't know, like armor piercing or for cold weather because it was blue versus red. I just assumed it was mm -hmm. a different kind of ammo. I never once, it never crossed my mind at all that one was for live and one was for blanks. Right. Okay. That makes sense. So have you, have you ever shot blanks? Yes. Uh, movie sets. I've, I've got a, uh, in fact, I had a, uh, a, and what's funny is they purposely made it as a 10 millimeter uh, versus a nine millimeter. So that way, when you're buying the 10 millimeter sized ammo, uh, nine millimeter being a much more standard thing, you wouldn't accidentally load a real live round into the gun. So it fired. Oh, okay. That's actually quite smart. Yeah, it fired a different side. Now, a lot of times they'll still use regular, in fact, a lot of times they will use live real weapons and they'll just get the blanks made for that weapon so it looks real for whatever movie they're shooting. 
But um, in this case, I was using a, it was a, it looked like it was a 45, but it fired 10 millimeter blanks. And uh, it was kind of cool because as a prop weapon, because it was a blank, because it had gunpowder, it caused the hammer to fly back. It caused the shell casing to eject. There was a flash out of the front. That was it. So you could capture it as if you were shooting a real gun. You could have it pointing right at the camera and not not do any damage, but you could get all the, the visuals you needed. Right. You just need to make sure that it's it's really a blank. <laughs> right. 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 So um, it's, it's obviously every bit as loud as firing a real around. Now I know sometimes blanks might be not quite as packed, and and you've got different kinds of ammo that are going to be packed for a bigger punch. But, I mean, it's not like it was a pop gun or something like a cap gun. It sounded like you were firing a real brand. I mean, I've, 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 I have I've, don't think I've ever shot a blank because I've never really had to. If I'm going right. to, you know, why would I, you? If it was anything shooting or anything. No, uh, if you're not on a movie movie set or if you're not trying to take over Dulles, um, I, I don't <laughs> think you would no. have any reason to do that. Okay. Um, are, are you familiar with any of the onset accidents that have happened with blanks? And again, we're talking about with blanks, not right. not not with real bullets. Right. No, probably the most famous one was uh, on the set of The Crow, because that, that was blanks, but someone didn't check the wadding, and it was actually the wadding that got stuck in the chamber. Something was happened. Something got ha- stuck in the barrel, and when the blank went off, because it was such point blank, the wadding is what I think hit um, the actor and caused his death. Yes. Correct. Okay, so here I'll, I'll read to you what happened. So that was with Brandon Lee. Brandon Lee yeah. was killed while filming a scene for the 1994 film The Crow by a 44 caliber uh, revolver used as a prop that still contained a bullet from a squib load. A dummy round used during an earlier shoot was hand-loaded by someone other than a firearms expert who removed the propellant powder but unknowingly left a live primer in place, resulting in the bullet being separated from its casing with insufficient energy to exit the barrel. The gun was not properly checked for for retained bullet prior to the incident and then subsequently fired with a blank cartridge. The blank charge propelled the lodged bullet out of the barrel, fatally injuring Lee. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with any other uh, uh, onset uh, problems? Well, we, just had, we just had the one that still uh, apparently has been giving Alec Baldwin some uh, relief when they decided not to press charges. But on the set of Rust, he actually did kill the camera operator. Um, and but but that wasn't back. but that was with a live round that wasn't with a blank. Well, it was supposed to be a blank. <laughs> right. No, I'm I'm aware of that. I'm talking okay. about just uh, you know that 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 obviously is something you know that that's completely uh, you know completely out of bounds. I'm talking about you know an accident that happens with a blank. Okay. No, I, so right off the top of my head, those are the two. Well, and if you don't want to count Rust, uh, the Crow is the one that is the one I I know off the top of my head. I don't know any other ones. Right. Okay. So in a it, there was a uh, the, the music video Dopamine was being filmed in uh, 2017 in a bar in uh, Brisbane, Brisbane. So I guess that's mm-hmm. Australia. Um, where a professional stunt double named Johan Offner was killed by, by a shotgun wad that, that was still in the barrel at the time. Then in 2015, there was a 17-year-old who was playing with a gun that was used in a high school theater program, production of Oklahoma, and he basically shot himself with a blank cartridge thinking that you know blanks are harmless. Mm-hmm. And then the most famous case, now I remember when this happened in 1983, I think it happened. 
Um, do you remember an actor named John Eric Hexum? No. Okay. Did you ever see the TV show Voyagers? No, never watched that. Okay. It was it was a TV, it was a time travel TV show about uh, you know a I guess you could sort of say a pirate that that was plucked out of time and his his job was to go and fix things in time and okay. he has this he has this teenage kid from 1980 that is helping him that somehow you know like he he isn't really able to get to 1980 through time travel but something goes wrong and and so this kid is trapped with him because he can't bring him back home and they they go through time and and correct all these different uh things that happen and he was also in the tv show called cover up which is uh which was a tv show about um uh models like a modeling agency who they were like under who they were they were also like soldiers for hire and stuff like that so he he was in that so this this actor John Eric Hexum accidentally killed himself on the set of cover up when he placed a blank loaded 44 magnum revolver to his right temple and pulled the trigger as a joke the shockwave from the blank caused a depressed fracture depression fracture to his skull and sent bone fragments deep into his brain and mm. you know he passed away after that um there there were claims that they were they were playing uh you know Russian roulette with uh with it i mean it's not really sure exactly what happened but i mean these these type of accidents uh like the one in rust are things that that uh, shouldn't ever happen no you know they i, I got to tell you and obviously you've been in the military uh it, and it doesn't take a military background to know you treat every gun even a prop gun as a live capable of hurting somebody or killing somebody weapon the blanks to make them sound and look right they're going to have a gas release they're going to have a concussion wave they're going to have you don't it's just it's it's mind-boggling that these accidents happen because there should always be somebody on the set the armorer who's the person responsible for every scene every check in between you double check you triple check every actor should then double check and triple check there's there's no excuse i've been on way too many sets where I've had to handle firearms and when the safety's followed, it's super easy. Nobody ever gets hurt. It's when people do That's dumb right. things that, that these accidents happen. Correct. So um, again, the, the, the dead John McClane or the, the supposedly dead John McClane is still standing there. And, <laughs> yeah. and then he starts to explain to Lorenzo what, what just happened. He goes here, he pulls out the, the clip and, you know, points and shows him the, the bullets there and goes, these are the bullets they used out there tonight. Blanks. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, first of all, I always love the fact that in movies, I mean, because I've shot real machine guns, I know how quickly you can empty, you basically will empty the the cartridge if you're, if you're shooting on full automatic, which you don't usually do. If anything, you're going to shoot on semi-automatic, but that's a separate issue. But John clearly shot far too many bullets for him to be able to pull the cartridge out and show Lorenzo that there are still bullets here, that these are, uh, that these are blanks. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> now here's then, where I will tell you that, um, our, our actor here for Lorenzo does, I think the same slow recognition that I felt in the audience. I think he does a really really good job of processing it and it, and he doesn't just instantly believe he doesn't instantly jump to the phone i love his acting here yeah for everything that we just went through 
And it's almost like either he did it innately or got the direction from Rennie Harlan or both. I think they realize this is a moment the audience needs as well to process what's just happened. Correct. Yeah. No, Dennis Franz is great. I mean, this is this is before he became really, really uh, popular and familiar, you know, to, to all audiences with NYPD Blue. But, you know, he, he was great here. Mm-hmm. And you're right. You see that he takes his time to 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 let his brain catch up to what's going on. He was just about shot. shot. I'm surprised he didn't have a heart attack. Uh, mm-hmm. We should be happy about that. <laughs> or he should be happy about that. For you know. And then when he comes to the realization, he goes, Jesus Christ. And then starts walking over, you know, towards, towards the desk. Mm-hmm. And you can see that, that he's finally seen the light and finally realizes what's going on. Yeah. And I, I, I like the way they show that. Yeah. The, the, Every bit about, if you want to just understand how important nonverbal acting is to conveying what's going on, Dennis Franz does a, does a it's, it's a perfect job right here because he's, he's going through what we, the audience are going through and who sure. knows how many takes they had. He remembers to stay out of breath. He still keeps the same disposition it, for, for all intents and purposes. You would have thought this was a one take and he stays perfectly focused in the moment lets it breathe, conveys what's happening in his head, and I love it. I think it's, again, it's perfectly well spaced and timed to give us a chance to come to the same recognition that he's come to. That's right, for sure. I, I think I think it's done really well. Uh, again, you know, you just have to put aside the fact that, that <laughs> it's the ghost of McLean that's talking to him. Exactly. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. In the meantime, we've got a meat wagon on the way to pick up the corpse of the former John McClane, who's been shot multiple That's right. times by officers. <laughs> That's right. And, and rightly so. You know, there's, there's, there's absolutely no reason why he should still be alive at this point. I mean, in reality, if you wanted to make this point, I mean, I get it for the movie. It's, it's much more dramatic to shove the guy who's yelling in your face and shoot him. John McClane, in, the, in reality, if he wanted to make his point, could have just put the gun, pointed to the ground, and just pulled off some rounds and said, see, where, where's the damage, right? But not That's effective right. for a movie. That is correct. So I, I, I recently just saw the, there, was, there was a limited series called Hijack with Idris Elba. Did, have, you, have you heard of it? It was I've on Apple. It. I never saw it. Never saw it. It was on Apple. It's great. And there they talk uh, – in, in, I'm not, I'm not going to give anything away. They They – it's it's a great seven episode show that deals with a hijacking and there's so many different twists and turns. It's it's I I, I was like completely blown away by by all the things they did there. But they extensively explain the difference between a blank and a real bullet there, and they do a great job with it. Excellent. Um, I'll give it. So, so it's a limited series. So it's just one story and done. It's not like a ongoing. one story, seven episodes. That's it. Seven seven episodes. I think of each of them is about fifty minutes, something oh, like that. That's right up my alley. I I get so tired of shows that can't hold it to the end. I like. I don't mind if you're going to tell a. I like the things like Lincoln Lawyer came out season two, but it's like one story told across multiple episodes. If they never do another season of Lincoln Lawyer, I'm satisfied. I don't have stuff hanging in the wings. I don't have stuff I didn't get Correct. solved. I love right. the idea of the limited series. So I'll check it yes. out. So do I. So do I. I'm, I'm a big. I'm a big fan of what used to be known as the miniseries. The miniseries, you know, exactly. Which, which, <laughs> That's how we grew up. 
that now is called a lit, you know, because a miniseries was usually two or three episodes, you know, maybe sometimes a little more. Here it's, you know, a limited series could have 12 episodes, you know. Well, but, but uh, in terms of length, although that would be longer, I remember watching like three part miniseries on TV. It would be from eight to 11 with commercials. So that's you're right. Still getting two that's and a right. half, three hours mm-hmm. for, for sure. per night. So it'd be like a six, seven hour thing. So if you have seven yeah. episodes at less than an hour, that's about the same. Yeah, it's more or less the same. I, it, I remember when North and South was on and the Thornburgs, you know, oh, yeah. all, all those all those fun, fun, uh, long drawn out miniseries of the 80s. Oh, yeah. Hey, let's do a and circle then, around to what we talked about uh, with Pearl Harbor. Herman Wilkes, The Winds of War. That's right. I, I, I actually watched The Winds of War, I think about a year or two ago. I watched the whole thing straight through and, and I was quite impressed with the way they did it. And uh, unfortunately, I'm not able to. I, I haven't been able to find copies of uh, War and Remembrance, which I've heard, is, which from what I understand is even better. You okay. Know? You know, that's um, something I want to go back and, and check out because I remember I was disappointed seeing The Winds of War, but I was a middle teenager and I didn't realize right. that it was more about the drama and the character and the story. I was wanting like Torah, Torah, Torah. I want to see a lot of action and fighting. That's right. That's right. Correct. Understandable. All right, so um, you have anything else for this minute before we get into the script? Nope, that's going to do it for me. All right, so the script is, is once again, you know, very descriptive here. So I'm just going to read through it. We have Thornburg in, in the airplane laboratory. This is a recording of a conversation between Dulles Tower and the captive aircraft overhead. With a smug smile, Thornburg plays the tape again. In the airport bar, the people listen as the tape of Barnes's earlier broadcast is played. In the airport police office, the golf cart skids to a halt at the receptionist's desk. Lorenzo comes thundering out of his office. McLean, are you out of your f-ing mind? Marvin, this man's been breaking through serious Give him a break. Lorenzo turns to him, who the f- are you? Marvin, pointing at his name tag. Marvin, the janitor. <laughs> Don't need that kid's total engineer crap. <laughs> McLean grabs Lorenzo. Grant, the terrorist team. Where are they? Lorenzo, they left to shoot those bastards out of the sky. They're not going to do that. They're going to get on the same goddamn plane and leave with him. Before the army canned him, Stuart must have loaded that unit with his own guys. But that firefight at the house, McLean says, a sideshow to jerk us off. Buy them time. You're completely around the f- bend, McLean. And you know what else? Reaching for handcuffs. You're under arrest. McLean steps back raises the assault rifle, and fires. New angle. Lorenzo staggers back in shock and then realizes he's unscathed. What? How? McLean shows him the clip. These are the bullets they used there tonight. Holy <laughs> So it's, it's more effective in the movie. Mm-hmm. No question about that. And you don't need, you don't need the extra Marvin uh, uh, comic relief on the side. No. Uh, in fact, you know, that's just the not last needed. thing you need in this scene, you needed to keep it tense and tight. You built the energy, uh, you know, going through the crowd of the th- of the uh, airport. You're here now. You're you get a screaming match. The energy needs to stay serious until the reveal. And I think that's a it was a that's wise it. decision, either on Rennie Harlan's part to not even shoot it, or in terms of cho- choosing to edit it the way they did. I think it seems to me the way that it flows that they just altered the shoot rather than. Um, film it as is, and then cut it out. And it feels like they just altered the shoot. That's correct. Okay, so for for today's segment, because Alan's already been here, so we, we, we've already gone through the segments, uh, you know, the week that he was on uh, months ago. 
So I decided I'm going to actually uh, give a retro story of Off the Beaten Track, a story that I've already told. But I will tell it again because I told the story back on Plain Shades and Automobile. So anyone who hasn't listened to Plain Shades and Automobile season can now hear the story again. Uh, it's a story of it happened in, I believe it was May 1994. Uh, hopefully the, the statute of limitations has, <laughs> has expired so that anyone listening to this will, will, will not come and arrest me for, for telling this story of what happened. Um, I had just been uh, released from, from the Israeli army and before, and I was getting ready to go back uh, to a trip to visit my family in the States. And before I left to go there, I went and visited some other friends. And during the course of, of my time in the army, uh, I had lent a magazine clip to a friend of mine. Okay, I know that you're completely in shock about this because in the U.S. Army, you know, you have to sign out every bullet and stuff like that. In the Israeli Army, it's a little different because you know you're you're always walking around with your with your gun and with bullets, and everyone always has spare clips and spare bullets. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, potentially a hazard, but but it also you know just the way it is. So I had lent through the course while the time that I was in the army to a friend of mine, a clip because he was missing a clip or whatever it was. And I happened to see him a few hours before I was flying and he gave me back the clip and I took the clip and I put it in my, my knapsack. Okay. I went home, you know, I'm, I'm a very late packer, a last minute packer. So I got back to my apartment. Uh, I was going to be listening to my, my Walkman. Most of it's a 12 hour flight, you know, so I would always pack in a lot of uh, tapes I uh, just threw a whole bunch of tapes into, into my knapsack and I get to the airport. I'm on the plane. I'm, I'm, I must be halfway between Israel and, and New York at the time. And I reach into my bag to pull out a, a, a tape cassette. And what do I pull out instead? I pull out a full magazine, uh, a full M16 magazine uh, that has uh, 20, 29, uh, uh, 5.56 uh, bullets mm. uh, inside of it. And I am ready to crap my pants because here I am on an airplane in over international waters with a live uh, machine gun clip. Yeah, with multiple. <laughs> you know, this isn't blanks like we're talking about. That's right, with 29 live bullets, and you know, didn't know what I was going to do. And I was like, okay, what, what do I do? I put it in the seat back, you know, uh, uh, you know, like the, the 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 compartment in front of me either my seed or someone else's seed or whatever, because my biggest fear at this point was that, okay, I don't know how I got through the x-ray machine because that bag went through the x-ray machine and whoever was working on, on the x-rays wasn't apparently paying enough attention. Oh. <laughs> that Because again, I, I know it sounds really stupid that a person would, would just happen to have a, a, clip, a, a clip of live ammo in their bag, but you know, had they it, you know, had it gone through the machine and they would have stopped me, I would have been able to explain it and you know, maybe get into a little bit of trouble, but not not extreme trouble for the whole thing, because it's not like I had a gun with me at the time or anything like that. Um, but my biggest fear at this point was okay, I'm gonna be showing up in New York and I have to go through customs. And what happens if I get stopped there? Like what do you do at that point? Right. Um, so so I basically said I'm gonna take my chances and I kept it in my knapsack. And as soon as I got to the airport, I, you know, found my bag, my, my, my luggage as quickly as possible and, you know, uh, stealthily tried to make sure that no one would stop me as I'm going through customs. And then I got out of the airport and, you know, I ended up giving, giving the, the magazine to a friend of mine as a souvenir, you know, that, that I don't know if he still has 30, 
30 years later or not. But, uh, you know, I, I knew that I couldn't take the risk of trying to get back on the plane with that on the way back home. Wow. But yeah, it, uh, it, it shows that, that, you know, this was obviously this was uh, pre 9-11. I don't know if that means anything because, you know, they, they do know that that the security in the Israeli airport is usually among the, the best in the world. Mm -hmm. So somehow somebody was sleeping. I mean, I, I could have gotten someone probably fired if it would have come, come up or anything like that, you know, someone who wasn't doing their job properly or whatever it was, but you know, so yeah, that's my story. Hopefully, and I'm going to stick to it and hopefully <laughs> there's nobody listening who will come and try and arrest me for, for, for uh, smuggling ammunition into America uh inadvertently you know so i'd like to believe the statute of limitations probably ran its course but it is it is a little interesting i i don't know what the rules were at that time obviously i don't think you could walk through with bullets <laughs> with live with it with a with a clip of live bullets I, yeah i would think you couldn't but uh Maybe they thought, but I did. <laughs> what, what, is, what, what is a live, you know, a round of, uh, you know, if you don't have a gun, where are you going to put it in? Right. That's true. Know. But again, That's think of weird. Think about the, the interrogation that I would have had to go through. Where did you hide the gun? Right. You know, <laughs> yeah, don't, That's don't thing, but, say you but yes. suck it up your behind because they'll go look for it. That's right. Yeah, don't correct, do that. Don't. And, and this. <laughs> That's right. And and I'll, I'll connect this and you, you probably didn't hear the story either. Another retro story that is somehow connected to to my stupidity when I get on airplanes or when I got on airplanes when I was younger. Um, I was once flying from Detroit to Chicago and the same thing, the same type of thing happened just with a, a different type of weapon. Uh, I was uh, playing with a, a pair of handcuffs in my in, in, in my house before I got on the flight. And again, somehow the handcuffs landed in my bag. Um, and then when I was at the airport and this was in, uh, you know, Detroit Metro airport, <laughs> as I was about to get on, you know, was, we were going through, through security and my, my bag goes through. And then, uh, the, the woman at the, at the x-ray machine goes, all right, who's the joker with the, with the handcuffs. And, you know, I didn't know she, and I didn't know she was talking to me or anything like that. And she's like, tell me whose bag is this and who's, and I look around and I see that it's mine. And I go, those are mine. And she goes, what are you doing with these handcuffs? And I said, oh, I was just playing with them at home. You know, and I guess I put them in the, and she says, you can't take these on the plane. So I said, why can't I take them on the plane? What am I going to handcuff the air, the, the pilot, you know, or something like that. And she didn't like that, that response. Thankfully, so much? you know, TSA was was very different back then this was this this was in 1990 when this happened tsa was 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 a little nicer back then or was a little more forgiving i guess you can say and she said well if you want to get this to chicago you you should check it in you should put it in check luggage so i i went and uh you know one of my friends hadn't finished checking his luggage i went and put it in there and uh you know i made sure on the way back home that it was in uh, check luggage also but again what it goes to show is, is that you know, when when uh, when young Rob is traveling, <laughs> he doesn't necessarily pay attention to what he's putting in his bag, <laughs> and could could definitely cause a, a lot of uh, incidents. You know, this is something that happens every year. Uh, they do a news story usually at the end of the year. You know, when they're looking for stuff to just fill, or people are going on holiday, and they remind you double check what you've got in your bags before you get to the airport. And there's always this list that they put out of, well, what are some of the things that were found this year by people not paying attention. And I'm always amazed at the list of things. 
I mean, from brass knuckles to knives to power tools, wrenches, baseball bats. I mean, it's it's. There was a story, and there's a there's a uh, at the Atlanta uh, International Airport. There's like these cases to demonstrate. One of them had a chainsaw. Someone thought they could take on carry on a chainsaw. I'm like, you can't take, oh, wow. take a chainsaw on carry on. Like, Why not? I need to check it. I'm gonna go check a chainsaw. Like, yes, you you can't take it on board. <laughs> crazy. Uh, it's very true. People, people are crazy. Uh, I'll save it in case you want a story, but I can tell you how much it's changed since 9-11. Because I had to have something confiscated from me, but I'll save that for another story. Ooh, save that for tomorrow. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Alan, you want to once again tell people where they can find you? Sure. If you're interested in a news talk, political talk, uh, you can find me. I do a daily show. It is from my ha- flagship station in Atlanta, WSB Radio. You can go to wsbradio.com forward slash The Alan Sanders Show or just Google The Alan Sanders Show. Or I drop it everywhere you can download. Uh, if you're not into that, if that's not your cup of tea, but you want to do more of the entertainment, my buddy Walt and I, we did a Movies by Minutes called The Wilder Ride where we broke down movies of Gene Wilder. We did Young Frankenstein Season 1. We did Blazing Saddles Season 2. Changed it into a talk show. Interviewed some really, really cool guests and definitely worth going in, at least browsing through the catalog of our seasons three and four to check that out. We took a hiatus a couple of years ago when uh, things were going a little different and haven't returned officially yet. But you still got all that. You got four years, four seasons worth of content to go look through. All right. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Move Around Minute. You can find me on my website, movearoundminute.com. You can find me on Facebook and you can find me on Twitter slash X. So until tomorrow. If you're fond of sand dunes and salty air, quaint little village.